Welcome to an inspiring message from Pastor John Cameron, lead pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will encourage, inspire, and empower you. 1 Corinthians 9, 24, Paul's writing to the Corinthian church and he said, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get that prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training and they do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly and I do not fight like a man who is beating the air. No, I beat my body, I make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. And just one more scripture from 1 Timothy chapter four and verse 14. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, do not neglect your gift which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. And by the way, tonight, I wanna talk to you a message that I'm excited about uh, and simply entitled, Here to Make a Difference. And, and I felt just in prayer last night, we're gonna lay hands on people at the end of that service uh, because I believe that there are some people that need to understand your giftedness. And we're just, gonna, we're just gonna invite people to come forward. We're gonna lay hands on you. Some people will get a prophetic message. Some people might not get a prophetic message from a person in that moment. But I just felt that scripture, the elders laid hands on you. And we're gonna have our pastoral team who are the spiritual elders of our church. We're gonna have our pastors lay hands on people tonight. And I really believe we're gonna have a powerful night. The series is so crucial. So if you'd like to join us this evening, if you don't normally, then, then please come out. And verse 15, he said, be diligent in these matters and give yourself wholly to them so that your progress may be evident to all. And in, in these two passages, one written to a church community and the other written to a pastor, we're seeing the same emphasis coming out in both. When Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, he's speaking quite generally. So he says, don't you know guys that in a race everybody runs, but only one guy gets the prize. Don't you understand that this life of yours counts, that this is not a drill? Don't you understand that we're in a real race? He said, I don't run like a man who is running aimlessly. This is not a joy jog for me. This is a race. I'm giving it everything that I have. I was with a guy in Japan, uh, the other speaker, Mark Pettis, and he had just completed a marathon in 13 seconds less than four hours. So three minutes, three hours, 59 minutes and 47 seconds, he completed a marathon. I said to him, did you cry when you crossed the finish line? He said, I wept like a baby. And I know why that was, I intuitively understood he would have cried because you would have had to put everything of who you are into that to accomplish that amazing milestone. And Paul's saying, I'm putting everything into this. This is, I'm not going through motions. This is really serious. He said, I'm not fighting like a man who is fighting the air. He said, I'm not shadow boxing. There is a real devil. This is a real war. We are in a real fight team. We said it last week, but I wanna say it again. Heaven and hell are realities. People go there and spend eternity in either an eternal heaven or an eternal hell. And we are fighting a real devil and this life of ours, it really does count, it really does. So that's why Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, don't neglect your gift, don't neglect your gift. He's saying to everybody, to everybody, he's saying your life matters. But when he writes to an individual, to Timothy, he said, don't you bro, neglect your giftedness. You have something that you are gifted to do. A miraculous faculty, that's what it means, a giftedness. You have something that when you do it, God breathes on it 
and people are blessed and heaven is able to enter into environments. I want everybody in this auditorium, everybody online to understand you have a gift that has been given to you by God. God never made a mistake. God never created a redundant human being. Everybody has an eternal plan and purpose. Whack five people and tell them, I am God's gift. Tell them, I am God's gift. It's good for you. It's good for you. And they need to know it. They need to understand it. I am God's gift. You are God's gift. And the thing about it, team, is that when we neglect our gift, we make light of that. We, we diminish that importance. The word neglect just simply means to trivialize. So don't you for a moment think that your giftedness is inconsequential. That would be so foolish. Your giftedness really, really matters. And for every person in the service who's saying, I'm not even sure what my giftedness is, we've created Pathway. If you turn up on the first Sunday of September, at what time, John? At 12 o'clock in the foyer for over four weeks, we can help every single person, not 90%, 100% of the people in this auditorium to discover your unique giftedness that God has entrusted to you and enable you to then use that gift for an eternal purpose and glory. But don't you for a moment trivialize. That's what he's saying. Don't make light of this. Don't, don't think that it's nothing, that you've been given a miraculous faculty. He said, give yourself wholly to it. And again, just recapping on last week, but the, the words give yourself wholly are actually not there in the original geek. I mean, I'm sorry, I mean Greek. They're not there. <laughs> They're not there in the original, but the translators are trying to put it in English so that we can kind of understand what the Greek is saying because there's not three words, there's actually only one word and it means be or exist, exist. Think about the word, exist. Exist to them. In other words, exist to your gift. Be your gift. When he's saying give yourself wholly, it's saying mark your identity, not in your profession, but in your giftedness, not in your not in your background, but in what God's called you to do. Don't define yourself by your family surname, but by the talents that God has entrusted to you. Because friends, here's the, the thing. There is a real heaven and there is a real hell. And if you are a Christian, you're not gonna be judged by God to decide where you go. If you aren't a Christian, you will. And it is important that you know that. I don't wanna hide that from you. There is a real heaven, there is a real hell. And when you get to the end of your life, God is gonna ask you, what did you do with the sacrifice of Jesus? What did you do with the offer of eternal life, forgiveness of sin that is extended in the loving arms of Jesus? And if we say, well, I rejected it and I don't care for it and I'm too proud to bow my knee in service of a God who loves me totally, purely and wholly, then you can spend eternity in hell. But if you'll receive Jesus, you can spend eternity in heaven. But just because you're a Christian, if you are a Christian, you're not gonna be judged by that judgment. But God will come back and He will ask us what we did with what He gave to us. Every single person gets judged. God's gonna say, what did you do with the gift I gave you? What did you do with what was entrusted to you? That is going to be a reality for every single person. So to Paul, when Paul's writing to Timothy, he said, man, you better make sure you go after it. But the truth is, team, we all know a lot of people that are not living out their giftedness, right? Anybody know somebody? It's so easy in life to trivialize your giftedness, to run like it's just a, 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 a joy jog, to live your life like it doesn't really count. And, and the Bible is overwhelmingly teaching us, this is not a drill. 
It's not a dress rehearsal. We are here to make a difference for God with the life that He's given to us. So why? Why is it that people don't sometimes live that giftedness? Well, I wanna give you five reasons today. We're gonna move as fast as we can because I believe that each of them is really important, but you can probably or possibly identify one of these five or all of these five might be somehow trying to attack your life. And I believe that if we could, if we could just identify where we're, we're being you know, tempted or where we, we, we are becoming vulnerable to, to making light of or to doing nothing with the gift God's given us, maybe we could change that this morning, amen? Anybody believe you can get better? All right, well, here's the first reason why Christians do nothing with the gift God's given to them is because fear can hold us. There's so much fear in the world in which we live. Is that not true? I mean, fear is just everywhere, 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 everywhere. And the devil is gonna try and use fear in our lives to prevent us from being the gift God's called us to be. If your gift is to encourage, I, I have a gift of encouragement. But when I pioneered a rise, it was a dormant gift. It only found expression before I pioneered a rise in written form. I would write notes to people. My youth leaders, when I was a youth pastor, I'd turn up to their home and find the notes on their pinboards in their bedrooms because they're all, you know, like young adults still living with mum and dad. And so, you know, this was, this, was, this was the only way it found expression. When I started Rise, I used to write things on business cards, walk into cafes, sit down. I was so afraid. I'd be reading over the note. The person would walk in and I'd hide my little business card and then try and summon the courage to say it out loud. And fear, fear is gonna try and stop us. It's gonna... If your gift is encouragement, the devil's gonna try and stop you from saying anything with your mouth to somebody. If your gift is creativity, the devil's gonna make you afraid that your art will be rejected. If your gift is leadership, then fear is gonna come up in your mind that if you use that gift, that somehow giving your time to God or to His purpose is gonna hinder your family. And I like to remind our church about this regularly, but the day the, the church becomes an enemy of your family, that's the day the devil won a great victory. Being involved in church, serving God with your life will not hurt your family. That is a fundamental lie from the devil. I am not trying to protect my kids from the church. I'm trying to give my family to the church. Surely if it's God's house, when we bless it, God's gonna bless us. Come on, if you've been blessed by having your kids in church, give God some praise. Come on, let's refute that lie from the devil. But fear, fear just comes in, doesn't it? And the problem with fear, guys, is that fear makes us self-oriented. It does. When fear is in our lives, it becomes about me, myself, and I. The big tragedy of the global financial crisis is what it did to nations and churches in their budgets. The fact that we, we were so afraid of what we might lose, oh my gosh, we can't buy an Xbox, that we tightened our purse strings as nations and as communities and what we stopped doing was making a difference in the lives of the poor and needy, right? Because fear makes you self-oriented. And if fear is gonna do anything, it's gonna shut down that gift, it's gonna hold us back because it'll make us think only about me, myself and I. And the gift God gave you is never for you. In fact, Jesus taught us this. He said in Luke 12, 32, He said, don't be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Don't be afraid. God's gonna give you stuff. Sell your possessions and give to the poor for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And how many people just know it's so, it's so real that when fear is in your life, you think only about yourself. 
I've met wealthy people who are full of fear. I've met young people who are full of fear. Successful people who are full of fear. And as a Christian, if we're gonna live the life God wants us to live, then we have gotta break free from fear. We must. Erwin McManus, I was with uh, Erwin McManus this, uh, last week and he was talking about this crazy concept that has rocked my world. He said the problem with most Christians is that they're living on the wrong side of death. Because fear at the end of the day is all about what bad things might happen to us. I remember when I was starting in ministry, Winky you know, maybe didn't say it this as eloquently as Irwin, but he said it as bluntly as possible. He said, John, he's my original mentor, he said, John, the worst thing they can do is kill you. If you get over that, everything's pretty easy beyond that. If they kill you, you go to heaven. That's the worst thing they can do to you. So why would you live afraid? That's what he was saying to me. But isn't it true? We fear what might happen. We, we fear stepping out. We fear that we may fail. We fear that we might be rejected. These are all sub-fears of one overwhelming fear. I am going to die. Well, a Christian isn't supposed to live towards death. A Christian's supposed to live beyond it. I have died. The life I now live in the flesh, I live for the sake of Him who loved me and gave Himself for me. I'm not living towards death. I'm living, we're supposed to live beyond it. Isn't that beautiful? And once we can say with our lives, I am not afraid, it's gonna free up our ability to do something amazing for God with our lives. We need to take authority over fear today. Somebody shout amen. amen. The second thing that can happen, the reason why our giftedness gets shut down is comparison can confine us. The problem with being uniquely gifted by God is that we are constantly comparing ourselves to others. You are uniquely gifted by God whilst constantly comparing yourself with others. How many people would say that is true, right? We're looking at them. We're seeing what God has called somebody else to do, what their grace to be. And the problem is that the more we look at somebody else's strengths, the more we see their brilliance, the harder it is for us to see what God has called us to be. And we have got to take our eyes off that. We've got to stop thinking about that. I remember being in a trap one day where I was comparing my race with some other pastors and looking at their race and coveting what they had. And God spoke into my heart so clearly from when Jesus was talking to Peter and, and at the end of John's gospel. And he said, Peter, one day, one day you're gonna be led where you don't wanna go. And one day you're gonna die a death you don't wanna die. And you know, basically just saying to him, basically one day you're gonna die for your faith. And Peter did what I would do. He looked at John, the other disciple who was right next to him and said, well, what about him? Is he gonna have to do that too? And I love that. It's just so honest, isn't it? You know what I mean? Like, oh yes, God, I will die. No, he's like, what about him? I mean, if I'm, if I'm gonna have to, doesn't he have to as well? I love the honesty of the Bible. It's great, isn't it? Hey, can we be thrown one on your left and one on your right when you get to, I mean, it's like, guys, no, this is a bad time to ask that question. Like, but it's there in the Bible. And, and, and when I read that, the Lord just spoke into my heart and He said, John, what is that to you? If their race is different to your race, what is that to you? You must follow me. That's what Jesus said. Comparison is going to kill you. Comparison is going to confine that gift. When we start looking at somebody else's gift and we're starting trying to be that gift, it is gonna hold us back from doing what God wants you to do with your life. I had the most amazing time in Japan this week. A nation of 127 million people, 0.2% Christian. 
Okay, you, you got that math? That's, that's shockingly low. 16 years ago, this brave couple called Rod and Viv Plummer, living on the North Shore of Sydney, uh, you know, the comfortable life, get called by God to go to Japan. See a wave, a tsunami wave breaking on the, on the nation of Japan and God said it's gonna be a harvest of souls. God gave them a promise of a million souls. So they moved to Japan. They nearly had to leave four times in the first year. I believe that number is correct, but a, a bunch of times they nearly had to leave in their first year. They still now are not a recognized church by Japan. They still pay tax on all their income, all that kind of stuff. They've been facing so much opposition, but now they have 18 campuses across Japan. The thousands of people come into church. I got to speak to over a thousand, I think 1,200 of their leaders this week. Incredible to see what God is doing. I've been driven around, you know, on my final day there by a young pastor named Shiva, and he's 30 years old, pastors a campus in West Tokyo. Tokyo is the largest city on earth. 37 million people live there. He's pastoring a church, and in the last year, it's gone from a connect group, a life group, to 120 people. But I thought to myself, wouldn't it be easy for Sheba to look on social media, see an arena, see a preacher, and think, what am I doing in West Tokyo compared to XYZ? And what a stupid thing that would be to compare himself to what God is doing elsewhere and to miss the fact that what he's doing, in my opinion, is of greater importance than probably 90% of preachers on this planet as he's winning people who've never heard about Jesus, never even considered church, are getting saved and established as leaders. Wouldn't it be a trap to compare himself to somebody else? And you know what, friend, how many times have we done that? We look at somebody else's gift. I mean, I've had business people say, I wish I could do what you do. They're so wealthy. And they're like, I wish I could do what, I'm like, I wish I could do what you do. <laughs> we all wanna swap, we all wanna we could get caught in that trap of comparison, we cannot allow it. I'm so grateful that my dad never tried to be something that he wasn't. God called him to be a father, and for his whole life, he's just sought to be wise and to raise his kids with wisdom. Now in Christchurch, Arise Christchurch, they call my dad the pastor maker. He has two kids on staff at Arise. The other one, uh, he's got four. One is a missionary in Costa Rica. And it's amazing to see what he's been able to accomplish with his life, but he's never had his name in lights. No one knows who he is. Walks in and out of a Rise conference, not even, no one would even know who he was. But he's just there in the background just saying, this is my gift. He's never tried to be somebody else's gift. And I don't know, but what I do know is that if you'll be who God has called you to be, then it's gonna release heaven into the lives of other people and you'll get an eternal reward. Let's not compare ourselves to somebody else. Let's be who God is. If you're good at working with children, work with children. And don't covet being in the worship team. And if you're good at music, don't desire leadership. Like just be who you're called to be. We, oh man, I'm getting myself excited. In 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12, Paul said, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. I love this verse. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. I wanna give the John Cameron version because we gotta move on. When you look at somebody else and compare yourself to them, you're a living idiot. That's what Paul is saying. <laughs> and we just need to make sure because comparison will cause us to all work the same field 
and to overplow one field while others remain unworked. We've got to make sure that we be who God's called us to be. Number three, the third thing that can happen is sin can entangle us. Why doesn't our gift get used? Why, why does our gift lie dormant? Why are we not running our race? Why, why would people look at us and think he's living, she's living like it's all just a drill? And the reason for many is that sin can and does entangle people. When God sent the Israelites across the Jordan River into the promised land, and they were instructed by God to take that land and to make it theirs. He said, every step that you take, drive out all of the enemy. Every step that you take, get the other nations and drive them out, kill them or get rid of them. Why? Because they sacrificed their children and fires to pagan gods. By the way, any society that starts to harm its most innocent, God will judge that culture. He will have grace until it touches the innocent, and then he will extend judgment. I believe that with all my heart. And he said, I will kill you because you are killing your children. He said, That's, it's game over. This is not gonna continue. So he said, drive them out or get rid of them. They did. The first day, the second day, but eventually it all became too hard. So they started to just drive them back 60%, 70% but allowed them to stay with them. And the Bible says they became a snare that enslaved them. And that's what happens with our sins, is that if we don't radically subdue the sin in our lives and just drive it out, then it just holds us back. It prevents us from being who God wants us to be. Let's just get clear about it, guys that this is not a drill. And the sins we tolerate could be preventing us from having an impact. For when I did run that marathon, I wore the flappy shorts. You know the flappy shorts? Like, they're just like a little bit, of, a little bit risque up there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Rachel makes Savan wear them around the house when he's at home. That and nothing else. But, but you know, those, those, those flappy shorts, those flappy shorts, they they're crazy. You, you would think, if you saw someone walking to church wearing them like Tony Clark or something, you'd be like, no, man. No, that's, that's not right. That's a 15-year-old joke, but it's still appropriate. But, but uh, no, that's not right. <laughs> Don't do that. I love Tony. I can't believe I teased him like that. But anyway, but you know, you'd be like, no, this is not appropriate. Don't wear that here. But when you're running a marathon, you don't care because you don't want anything that's gonna get around you that's gonna stop you. You don't want anything in your way. You'll flap for Jesus if you get to that finish line in one piece. This is what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, it says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and sin that so easily, what? Entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race we're running purposefully Listen, guys, you gotta understand it. The devil doesn't care about your sin. The devil cares about your giftedness. The devil's not after your purity. He's after your gift. He just wants you to live, go to heaven, but not make a difference while you're here, right? And that's why we've gotta throw off that sin that entangles us. That's why every Christian needs a life group. 
Why do you need a life group? Because your secret's are Satan's stronghold. You can be free of any sin in your life. There's only one thing you have to do. Confess it to one other person that you trust. A Christian leader, no, no, no. Not somebody with an equal or greater problem than yours, but someone that you trust. <laughs> but if you'll get a life group leader and tell them what your problem is, you can be free of any sin, it's easy. And by the way, there are only about seven that entangle people, and I've heard them all, there's no surprises left. But if you will just get your sin and stop allowing it, come on, the devil just wants you sitting down, feeling guilty, defeated, but we're not gonna give the devil any room. We're gonna break free from his lies and not allow him to have a go at us. Somebody shout amen. That's, that's good preaching right there. Number four, number four, demonic attack can enslave us. Second Corinthians 2.11, the Bible says, least Satan should take advantage of us. We, should, we are not ignorant of his devices. And guys, I haven't talked a lot about this in our journey as a church, but we need to be careful because there is a demonic attack. The devil is trying to attack. We must be aware that the devil doesn't want you living a full life. He doesn't have to take your gift, he just has to take your potential. If he can just get you to sit back, if he can just get you to do nothing. When you think about giftedness in the Bible, I think that Elijah would have to be right up there with the most important giftedness in the Bible. I mean, Elijah in one calendar day defeats the prophets of Baal, calls down supernatural fire from heaven, ends a three-year drought and ran faster than a chariot. That's just Monday. I mean, what did he do on Tuesday? But the Bible tells us that at the end of that day, a woman called Jezebel, who, who represents a spirit in Scripture, she, her name is all the way through to Revelation. She keeps turning up. And this woman Jezebel says to Elijah, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I don't make your life like one of those prophets of Baal. And the Bible says Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. Then we find him in 1 Kings 19 and verse four, lying under a broom tree. And this was his prayer. I've had enough. Lord, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Do you understand that he was way better than his ancestors? that his gift was incredibly powerful. That what he was doing was bringing a national revival. Hello? Yet the devil came around him. A spirit tried to attack him. And even though Jezebel never harmed him, she never even touched him, she nearly defeated him. Why? because the spirit that was operating through Jezebel made him curl up into a ball in the wilderness and want to quit it all. And anybody who's out there, I know this is heavy, but you just gotta hear it. That if in your mind you think your days of God using you are done, that is a thought from the devil. If you don't believe you have any giftedness at all, that is a thought from the devil. If you feel heavy and lethargic and like nothing you do is gonna make a difference in the life of somebody else. That is an attack of the devil. Somebody shout amen. amen. And we've got to stop giving place to that attack from the devil. We're gonna tell him, devil, no, not today. You're not getting this mind. You're not getting this heart. You are not robbing my potential. I'm not gonna let you, man, you've been given a supernatural gift from God. You can break free from every attack of the devil. 
Pray until you feel free. Worship. Get in church. Read the Bible. But don't allow those thoughts to have any dominance over your life. You have a gift. You have a calling. God's got a plan for your life. You are full of power by the Spirit of the Lord. We're going to declare, devil, you're not getting this life. You're not getting this destiny. You're not getting my plan. I've got a unique gift. I'm here for a reason. Somebody's got to declare over their own life, I will live and I will see the blessing of the Lord in the land of the living. Come on, number five, number five. The fifth thing that can happen is pride can blind us. Pride can blind us. There's only ever one way God's gonna use a person and that's when they're willing to serve, right? Hello? Let me say it again, maybe slower so you catch it. There's only ever one way that God's gonna use us and that's through serving. If we are not willing to serve, we will not be used by God. So when we're talking about unique giftedness, it's not that I get to stand up here and and say, everybody, I am God's gift. (laughs) If I'm not serving, the gift's not flowing. Isn't that true? So one of the most easiest ways for the devil to try and attack the giftedness of a person is to make them think that it's all about them. Because then it will be all about you, but there will be no supernatural enabling, no miraculous faculty, no favor of God, no changed lives, maybe some really impressive looking people, but no miraculous faculty. So the devil brings pride so that we see ourselves as important, others as less important, to get us to strut when we should be serving, to get us to kind of look down when we should be pulling people up. I make all of our staff memorize John 13, three to five, and I won't give it to you, but you can read it when you get home. John 13, three to five tells us that Jesus came from the Father, was going back to the Father, knew that the Father placed all things under His feet. So he got up from the table, took off his clothes, wrapped a towel around him and washed everybody's feet. Because if you know where you've come from, where you're going and what God's called you to do, then what you do never defines you. But when pride is in your heart, you'll never wash somebody else's feet. And there's only one way the miraculous faculty flows and that is through servanthood. So there is therefore a requirement of all effective ministry is humility, humility. So if we fall into that trap of thinking that we're the deal, then we will never be used miraculously by God. And God in life does have a way of beating the pride back out of us. But as the Bible says, you can fall on the rock and be broken or it'll fall on you and grind you to powder. So choose humility or humility will find you. I'm all for the former, having experienced both in my life. And I think that what God is looking for from us is the humility to understand. That we can make a difference for God if we don't care about who gets the credit for it. That we can do something amazing for God if we're not worried about how we look while we're doing it. If our gift doesn't require a position, if our gift doesn't need a profile, if our prayer is that God would use us to make a difference in the lives of other people, I think we can accomplish a lot. And friends, I believe with all my heart that every person in this auditorium, in fact, everybody in our online campus too, you've been given a gift by God. 
and you never get to, you don't get to relive today. I woke up this morning, I've, I've gone beyond tired from the last four weeks of my life. I'm in a new place. It's like beyond tiredness. It's like a whole nother, a whole nother realm. I'm just living in that realm. But I was, I've got the next two days off, by the way, in Jesus' mighty name. But I was driving to church this morning and you know what I was just trying to say to myself? I was just trying to say, John, today's not about you. You're tired, but don't you get self-focused. You, you see others. You see the moment that you have. You're gonna walk into this foyer. You're gonna walk past 10 people have had the most horrific week. Five people have had a terrible upbringing. And if we're not careful, we make it all about ourselves. This is not a drill. We, today is never played back. Our lives are never given to us again. There is no karma. You're not coming back. It's this life and then judge for it. So we must make this life count for God. It's not a drill. If at the moment your gifts and talents are not being used by God, if you're not serving in some way the lives of other people and building God's house with your gifts and talents, then on the first Sunday of September at 12 o'clock, I wanna invite you to be at that foyer downstairs and to, for four weeks, give 45 minutes to one hour of your life to going through the four steps of pathway. And at the end of that, you'll understand your giftedness and somewhere you can start making a difference with the life God's given you. The church is not measured by its seating capacity. I mean, you know, we've got this big arena. We have venues all over the country. God's not looking at the bums on seats on Sunday to decide whether a rise is doing a good job. He's not looking at our seating capacity. He's looking at our sending capacity. God's not gonna ask how many people came to a service. He's gonna ask, what did you do with what I gave to you? Let's make a difference for God, amen. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church and Pastor John Cameron, visit arisechurch.com or connect with us on Instagram at Arise Church and at John Cameron NZ.